0: Uh, This is Makeup of Vanity Set. This is Comtrues, and you are listening to The Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade may contain explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to the Paradise Arcade with Eric and Kyle. Um, how I'm just interested in the expectation differences between the two of you. Where like Seth, they go, well, okay, your calm truths, do your calm truths thing. And then Matt, it, did they go, well, you're an electronic producer, do your thing. Or do they hear your music first and go, well, do your thing. It, it's an interesting difference between the two of you, your entry point into that. So
1: it's interesting. So, like in 2020, I uh, got representation out in LA uh, through a company called Evolution Music Partners. And they they were basically like, We want to represent you for film and television. And I went out there and met them, and they were great. But in that initial meeting, they were like, You need to work under your own name because no one, producers are going to see the name, the artist's name, and they're going to be like, That's weird, which is absolutely a thing. Uh, there is definitely a very much a like pigeonholed thing in entertainment where if you do one thing that's what you do that's the thing Mm -hmm. you're the guy you do that thing if you want to do something else forget it I'm not Mm -hmm. giving and that that's across the board it's not just music it's like oh you're a producer but you only work on scripted content so you couldn't possibly make a documentary or vice versa you know and um so we started we kind of set out and COVID happened and COVID basically decimated the business for uh, at least a solid year of like nothing's getting made and then it's slowly coming back online but when it came back on it was like okay we're just making Thor movies and shit like that and that's all we're financing um and it's God, it's, <laughs> it's still a mess but it's getting better yeah. and I think that um it was interesting because they would send out reels and they'd send stuff out and they would have my name attached to it and they'd be like cool. Yeah, we like this or whatever. And then they'd start having a conversation and they'd say, well, yeah, he makes music, uh, you know, under this name, make advantage. Like, Oh fuck, I know that. And like, they started to realize a lot more people knew the music than they had originally thought. And so then they came back and said, well, you know, maybe we will start using the artist's name. Cause like, maybe that's like a, you know, a thing. And it's like, and I think really that that came from the fact that for years before i had representation i was licensing music so i would license a lot of stuff and in in licensing you just are exposed to an intense network of all walks all avenues all businesses all everything so like you end up with you know uh somebody might license a song for like a fucking like sunglasses commercial or something (laughs) ridiculous uh that that you're like no way in a million years will i ever will that be useful to me and then like later on down the road somebody's like oh yeah i was like on a thing and i saw this fucking sunglasses commercial and i really like that song and yada 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 and like you'd be surprised like i think if there's one thing i've learned from all that business it's that all of it is absurd like every aspect of it is so patently absurd that you can't go into any avenue of it with, with any expectation you just have to sort of show up and i always use the analogy like if somebody's hiring me to do something they' they've already given me this seat at the table i'm allowed to sit there and I just accept that and then i have no other pretense to anything because I'm just like it's gonna go any it's gonna go the way it's supposed to go like it's not really up to me or anyone else for that matter so i just sort of roll with it um yeah it's i don't know it's weird it's the the whole the whole scoring industry is a strange animal it's uh it doesn't make, it doesn't really have rhyme or reason. You just sort of see where it takes you. Definitely. And Seth, how about
0: you? Did you, I mean, did you feel like there was a, a level of like, well, I'm, you've hired me for this. I'm established as this. So this is, I get to do, I get to have some level of like, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, it sounds like that there is feedback and things that have, have come up through the different, um, things that you've done, it it must be an interesting thing for you to get into that, like being established and then going into a
1: collaborative.
2: Yes. Uh, I would say that I definitely think people come at me expecting, you know, uh, dog, if you want. Come on, Lou. Hold on. Come on. <laughs> come on. Out of there. Let's go. Come Dogs on. are welcome. Dogs are welcome on the show. She's going to unplug everything. Watch out, buddy being really needy today um well they'll you know they'll could they'll say oh we we uh, i want i want this sound you know and then yeah <laughs> i do it and they're like oh but we kind of want it to be more like this you know so yeah i mean that's why with the film i used my real name seth haley you know because i was like this is i don't want this this is gonna, a separate thing i wanted it to be separate because i'd like to do get into that space without this preconceived notion that that's like i only do the 80s drum machines you know what i mean like yeah yeah it, it was yeah so i think yeah i think it, it's just yeah you really you have to uh, it's like managing expectations of people i think right off the bat as far as like you know you know because everybody thinks they want something and then you do that thing and it's like but they wanted it different you know what i mean like they they want it their version of you you know what i mean yeah so it's, it's really hard to. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it's difficult the, to.
1: Is the music in the film, would you classify it as being different than what yes. you do as Countries? So, oh, yeah. yeah, so if people hear it, they're going to be like, not immediately like, oh, this is nope. Countries. Okay. It's
2: or, a lot, you know, it's pretty orchestral and, and, uh, oh my God, uh, come on.
1: <laughs> Out there.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it's definitely a departure, which I was, thrilled about honestly because yeah. and that's why i've always liked to do remixes because i think i can get away with like testing things out you know what i mean and i think when i write my own music i do back to um, what you were saying earlier how i do i did kind of box myself in uh, and i do i still do feel that but you know because uh, you know you've i'm sure there's plenty of artists that we've heard that you know they come out with a record or two and they establish this sound, and then the third record is like a complete departure, and it's jarring for a lot of people. And people, uh, you know, everybody's got their opinions and whatnot. But yeah, I, I think uh, doing these things is, is my opportunity to, to show not only myself but everyone that I, like I'm not just a one trick pony, you know. Sure.
1: So. I always think about I always think about Tron Legacy. Like I think about how when that movie came out, uh, you know, it obviously it was a huge selling point of the movie. It was like, Oh, Daft Punk has scored it. Yeah. And then it came out and I think in the initial sort of wave of it, everybody was like, I don't know, it doesn't really sound like Daft Punk, mm-hmm. you know? Which mm-hmm. now I listen to it and I'm like, It absolutely sounds like Daft Punk. I mean it's a great score. Um, yeah. but it was like a departure. It was like a yeah. you know, um, and I always I've always admired Daft Punk as a, as artists who y- were utterly devoted to not compromising. So like yeah. they, they only put out records when they were ready to put out records, and it was like a long break, and they did it the way they wanted to do it, and they didn't really, you know. And even looking back at the time, it's like, well, that record came out, and people were like, oh, I don't really like that. Or I remember when Discovery came out, and distinctly being like, having been a huge fan of Homework when Discovery came out, I was like, I don't understand this. I don't get this. This is weird. And now, I mean, I would say it's probably one of my favorite records of all time. Uh, It just took time to sort of like acclimate to what they were doing. And they, you know, and I think that in, in scoring, it's hard. Like I was, I worked on a, I scored a TV show and, you know, my music editor on the TV show said to me, uh, you know, we were going through this like really bumpy phase of post-production where we had an editor and it was tricky. And it was tough, and she uh, she made the comment to me, you know, as a as a composer, you don't really have agency over your music. Um, I never really forgot that. Like, I think that that's there's truth to that because you're part of a process. You're like a, a cog in the machine of this film, trying to get the thing made, and you are a little beholden to their vision and their style. And it's hard. I mean, it'd be I think it'd be really tricky for you to come into a project as calm True's and have to like deliver a thing where you're like, I'm proud of this. It's my my you know brand, without it being sort of hacked to death by committee decision, you know, yes. which is what happens in film.
2: Oh yeah. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of people throwing stuff at the wall.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know. I think I think it's like a unique position <clears throat> too, because like in in filmmaking right now, like you know stranger things when that came out in like 2016 it was like i think all of a sudden people were like wait you can have a synthesizer and a score again like and then it was like every single pitch after stranger things was make it sound like stranger things and it's like well yeah. you know if you listen to the music of stranger things i mean you feel the nostalgia of the 80s watching that show but the music's more like 70s synth yeah. I mean, it's pretty abrasive yeah. stuff yeah and and so then it was a lot of Explaining to people they don't actually want Stranger Things because the music of that show is actually pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh, it's not all like you know Tears for Fears and shit. It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a lot of like ARP twenty six hundred and like weird yeah. noises and stuff. And um, that's not what they want at all. And that's that's a tricky thing because then you start delivering that and they're like, oh wait, I don't want this. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm do it all over again, and, mm. which is a whole headache in and of itself.
2: Mm.
0: Do you ever go into Matt like um, where you're you're in a pitch, and you're hearing what they're talking about, and you're like, you know what? You don't actually want that. I'll do it, but I know that I'm gonna have to like redo it." I'm guessing that's probably everyone.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it happens a lot. I think that it's uh when I first started scoring stuff, there were a lot of people that would just reach out that were like, "I want you to do a replacement." Like there are a lot of ad agencies, super common ad agencies, where they're like, "Hey." I love Tyco. Tyco's awesome, but I can't afford Dive. Can you just make me Dive? And that's a that's a shitty place to live in because yes. oh. Well you, it's, it's depressing. It's disingenuous. I mean, it happens all the time in design. It happens all the time. I mean, it's just it's just the nature of the business. And I think as you get further on down the road, you do have some control in that you can come in and say, "Look, I'm not going to do that." Like I'm not going to make a knockoff because that's shitty and we shouldn't do it you know and if you really want that song you need to pay for that song because that's yeah. another that's another component of it too which is you know because of spotify and the rapid you know uh, access of information everything is every the value of everything has gone way down so yeah which you know,
2: yeah. yeah the last thing i worked on uh it was it was it was you know we want your sound so i did quite a few variations of it and then you know at the hand of the client right at the the, at the finish line basically it was like oh we're actually gonna we actually want this edm track you know kind of like a a a banging you know Mm -hmm. and then i was like all right well i guess I'll, i'll try my hand at it and then i basically yeah it was like a, a, a redo and then i did it and they ended up just going with the other you know like the the, <laughs> the the one that was the least expensive it would be more expensive for me to recreate it than it was for them to like license whatever they they ended up using yeah. um and yeah that's that's i think you know that's the nature of that beast it's
1: so a very you know? expensive and
2: it, it's and it's sad yeah. i think that you know we're uh, People are not willing to pay for what they really want. You know, they're only, they're, they're they'll, they'll, they'd rather pay for the knockoff, you know, kind of, which is, I don't know. It does crush the value of everything.
1: It just becomes a very expensive proof of concept, you know? Yeah. It's, which is tricky. It's a challenging thing. And it's, it's hard because, you know, also in, in entertainment culture, it's like, you know, That was the thing I kept hearing throughout COVID. It was like, well, all the studios are like pumping the brakes hard, but like places like Spotify or or not Spotify, Netflix are still cranking stuff out and still Mm. they're the only ones paying for anything right now. But then it's like you log into Netflix and there's like 600 million little thumbnails with like a little N in the corner. And I'm like, I don't know what I spend more time. Cruising through Netflix than that lit, than actually watching anything on Netflix. And I think that's yeah. it's but channel I don't, surfing. I, I, yeah, I don't know that that's a knock on Netflix. It's just a uh, it's just a the, the state of it. You know, it's like there's so much content. There's Decision a saturation fatigue. point. You know,
2: I watch the same stuff over and over again. Like I don't even. I, I like when they. I really do like when they have uh, their their docu series come out. Those are my favorite Netflix things for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. But I like a, I'll, I'll just. Uh, it's stupid but i watched the office on repeat basically because i'm like overwhelmed i can't make a choice yeah and I'm, I'm a person i have to be in a very specific mood to like watch a new film even something that i've been waiting for and super excited about mm-hmm. i have to I, I like i crimes crimes of the future i bought it already yeah i still haven't felt like i've been in the mood to really watch it you know yeah. and uh we the other night we watched uh, everything everywhere all at once say what it is yeah. yeah yeah uh incredible film but you know i was still i was like cooking so i was like in and out i was doing grilling and so you know i didn't really focus on it that much and same thing with like starting a new television series like i feel like i have to be in a really specific mood to like devote myself to actually get like getting into it mm-hmm. so i uh, you know I, I don't know i watched that like i say, i watched the office on repeat because I, I don't have to think about it it's it's like stupid silly you know mm-hmm. it's like it's it's low low intensity. It's not overwhelming. And like I don't know. I just I think the world is extremely overwhelming right now, and I, I feel like that's a. I was reading somewhere. I think that that that's a sign of like uh, they say that people with depression or, or or severe anxiety do that. And I, which I, you know, probably a little bit of both. But <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I find comfort. Thing. Yeah, I find comfort in it, which is like, is if uh, you know that's sure. that's what i do so yeah it is like when you do go when i go on netflix now it's like i don't even know what to pick
1: you know like, well i think it's and it's, then do you, you th- i mean it's, it's kind of a decision fatigue but it's also the overwhelming onslaught of busyness you know it's, everything's going on like i think by nature we're all kind of multitaskers by default you know yeah but i think it's interesting because like all the people of our generation like we're four dudes talking in a zoom right now and all three of us have shelves <laughs> shelves of media behind yeah. us and i think that that's a, i i'm curious to see like what generation our generation now like you know down the road what they have in their house because i mean like this is kind of where we come from it's like a yeah. you know, blockbuster video or a like record exchange or something like that well like those kids have no frame of reference for yeah. that shit physical
2: boxes of software you know
1: (laughs) well there's something about having a tangible thing in your hand you know and i think that's part of the it's a it's a it's absolutely miraculous to me to think that i walked into a video store at some phase in my life and looked at all the shit in that store and then made a decision and then walked Mm -hmm. out with one thing like in the parlance of our times now it's like that seems unfathomable you know yeah
2: (laughs) we used to ride our bikes to blockbuster to rent n64 games yep you know, and it was like, we, you know, we'd ride for like, it was like six miles or something. Not crazy, but for us as little kids, yeah, we'd ride into the into town and like, you know, rent Lake Turok, Rage Wars or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then oh, yeah. ride home and, and, and play it for a weekend and then drop it back off. Like, I don't know. And now everything's at your fingertips. I think I can see it because my girlfriend has a, a um, almost 16 year old daughter, i'm scared for the future <laughs> no, I, just, I just see i just see with like the TikTok and like the and, and and you know you just see how the attention span for things is like extremely short and it's like i, I don't know i, I don't really uh, you know it's always got to be new 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 need this need this need this uh, or headed down a, a, a uh, headed up a slippery slope or down whatever down probably um
1: What's well, also tricky too, because like in this era, so much of who we are and how we are is is predicated on some type of corporate influence, you know. Yeah. So whether it's an app like TikTok or you know, it's like now you go like I you know we I was in Germany for two weeks and it's like you'd be walking around Vienna, you know, down it we went through Austria. It's like you're walking through Vienna. And there's like a cathedral that was built in like the year 1100 and you go into it and there's like a girl in there doing like, you know, Instagram influencer pose while someone else is taking a picture of her. And you're just sort of like, well, you know, it's, that's the nature of it. It's it, you're seeing an, an a, a conscious or not influence on culture at large. Um, you know, and what does that mean?
2: I think it's, terrifying <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> yeah. I, I i i think it's kind of gross i don't I, I you know i it's uh i don't know I, I like the i'm still very much a person who you know just experience it like we don't need pictures of our food you know like no. like uh, you know just like to be in it you know like get off the phone i don't know that's it's, it's I, weirdly tough, but, that with the food though <laughs> uh, it's gotta yeah see but I'll, I'll take pictures of it but i'm not you know i'll, I'll save it just for personal you know yeah. like i don't necessarily always post it or anything i like i rarely post now and i i have a separate little food account that's just like for me to follow all the food restaurants and things i like you know and and, and i'll post it like if i make something cool or whatever but you know it's it's more like i don't know
1: it's, just, it's weird because i like will in nashville i'll go to shows and I mean, it's inescapable now. You go and just there's a sea of phones. Everybody's so it's like everybody is watching this thing that they paid money for through this sort of, you know, four inch screen. You know, their experience. And I guess it's like okay, well, it's like there's at some level it's like there's a level of the like Alan Lomax like folk recording. You know, keeping track of history, but that's like been run completely amok by like corporate yeah. influence it's like a you know i remember you know in college driving to chicago to go see shows in chicago because like all the tours i wanted to see would come through chicago it's like i remember sneaking like a mini disc recorder into autekker at the metro you know just to have a recording of autekker you know and like yeah. uh and trying to hide it from the people and like getting in and stuff and like you know now it's like you go and like everybody's i mean i was at i saw nine inch nails like about a month ago and it was like the amount of phones for every song i mean it was like it was distracting like it was really amazing to see how many uh phones it just the and i mean you don't think about it but it's like that's a lot of ambient light shooting at everybody you know like it's a it's very distracting and very um it is yeah yeah
2: picture it didn't happen (laughs) you know that's what that's what we live in right now right and
3: i I feel like that's the thing people are trying to prove that they were at a thing rather than enjoy it i you know when i'm at a show now i try to limit okay i'll take a picture just because but i want i'm there to experience it so i don't want to have my phone out the whole time because
1: that'll completely distract me from the whole experience what disconnects you too like yeah whether you want to admit it or not i mean it's why so many people I think during COVID or just in general, like have a hard time sleeping. It's like you lay down in bed and you're like, well, let me check fucking Twitter and see the fucking. And like, then before you know it, your brain's like stimulated again and you can't fall asleep. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you need to just put it down and just experience, like go for a walk, you know, go walk your dog, go do something. You know,
2: I feel
0: like there's going to be an anti technology movement at some point where instead of focusing on the convenience of, the all-in-one everything like I feel like almost like the original Star Trek series may come to fruition at some point because I look at it like oh you know the 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 things where they talk to each other communicators that's really smart because there's it's it's functional to what it is instead Mm -hmm. of being distracted and addicted because as you're saying the corporate influence everything that we experience now has the corporate influence which means that they want more engagement they want more time on the thing so it's gone from being useful to being addictive and i think there's at some point people are going to be like you know it needs to be useful and not addictive because it, it is taking away from living life if you look at depression rates anxiety rates all those things are only increasing as we become more mm-hmm. connected instead of the great promise i don't know, you guys uh, every everyone here is all where's my to... fucking flying car the flying car <laughs> and utopia that was the promise of the future of the 80s where we were we were able to get away from conflict and be in harmony with one another and corporations got involved and this is where like Ridley Scott was so on the money with both yeah. alien and blade runner, the danger of corporate influence on anything that is good. They inherently yeah. destroy. And I, I think it's, it's interesting.
1: It's funny. Cause like, I used to think that like blade runner was the, you know, cause blade runner in its own way is sort of the romanticized view of that, of that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I think what's more accurate for the world that we live in now is RoboCop. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hella <laughs> commodified, but ultimately just stupid. Like everything's yeah. just very vapid and like, you know, um, we're, we're I'll, buy, for... yeah. I'll go ahead. I say that I'll buy that for a dollar guy. It's like, you know, uh, yeah. like, um, you know, I think that's more true to like where we've landed. And that's the kind of the conversation that, that Seth and I had that uh, over Instagram it was like, you know, here we are making music for dystopia and like, it's supposed to be sort of a fantasy, like not a reality. like we're not supposed to be living through that shit.
0: It's like that's yeah, that is an interesting I would say that's an interesting thing with both of of your music and how you express those kind of ideas is that um it's a it's very much a warning against those kinds of things. But people romanticize it it's a weird thing Mm -hmm. we're like we're trying to warn against like um i remember when cyberpunk 2077 came out in the original board game the author of that was like no this was a warning against all of these things this was not me romanticizing this future this was a warning that this is where we're heading this is not good (laughs) it's not
2: great we're headed to children of men level of dystopia (laughs) Yeah, That's, as the days go
1: by.
3: Yeah, yeah, we're getting uh, okay. You know, after today, I feel like things are getting close. <laughs> yeah, Oof. yeah.
2: What a what a disaster. You yeah, know, I, mean, I used I... to
3: just think about like Matt and I were talking about Predator Two the other day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Great film. It's what my, I like it better than the original or the
1: first oh, film. Okay. I'm All speaking right. Speaking oh, his we're... language. You are <laughs> a
3: true homeboy right now. So, was... one of the dystopian parts that I fantasize about is I really love how the fashion in that movie was just like a copycat of Turbo and Ozone from Breaking. <laughs> like, that. those are the problems that I want to deal with for a dystopian future, not, not what we're going through now.
2: Big How's... Bill Paxton fan here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing about Predator 2 that I think re- that people fail to recognize is that it's one of those sequels that just really slaps, like, real hard, but it just does every, it just does just enough for, like, what it needs to do. Like, it's, like, the Alvin's, or the Alan Silvestri score, you know, is, it's, like, it takes all the stuff from the original, so it gives it that much of a fingerprint that it needs to have. But then everything else is like very different. It's like, you know, the setting is different, the whole, and it's cool. It's like you get to see, you know, I still think one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when he cuts the Predator's arm off and he falls into the bathroom and you're literally just watching a Predator in like a shitty apartment. <laughs> and it's, yeah. But it's incredible. It's like an incredible, and that's the thing I think, like you look at all the sequels and all the things that have come since that they miss. It's like, no, I don't need to see, Another jungle predator. I mean, we've seen that, you know, like yeah. I, show me mm-hmm. something new, you know. I Difference. love, yeah, yeah. I love that you can feel how hot LA is watching that because oh. everybody's like <laughs> they spray everybody down so they look you like know, they're that. sweating oh, profusely. Man. Like the grit is level like, is like, yeah. off the chain in yeah, that, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's a great, um, it's just little things like that that I love in and the majority, just, yeah.
3: Yeah, the majority of the Predator technology we see in
2: that movie too exactly yeah. that's I think that's why I like it more because it had more of that I wanted to like know more about i remember mean, seeing seen the first predator, predator and then you know just like what, what is this guy's what is this ship you know like what is what is all this stuff you know and they show a little bit more of it and then subsequently the, the following film sir you know eh. yeah
0: I like Predator 2 is great because they do just enough. I think they really do a really great... You, you take an original idea and how do you turn it on its ear? How do you say something different with the same thing? And they do an exceptional job in that movie. And I think in hindsight, it really shines as a as something that's like, this is a great way to revisit a franchise. Instead of just re-hitting the same three notes, Yeah, just exactly. with a new cast, exactly. it's taking your expectation tilting it and again they show just enough of what the predators are. they don't give everything away just a little bit to make your imagination continue to wonder and wanting more and they so it's a really great balance seth i uh <laughs> i have to let you know so we had a show before this and we did a whole episode on predator 2 and I told Matt knows about this. So like revisiting this conversation with the
1: with all of us here. <laughs> I, is... I, I'm so glad I got to shoehorn this in. <laughs> I think it's funny because like, you know, say what you will about, you know, having all these wave genres of music paying homage to the 1980s. We really need a, a sub sub genre of that that pays homage to actors from the 1980s with thick accents cursing in really ridiculous ways. Because yeah. I feel like all through Predator 2, you get Maria Conchita Alonso just cursing in the most ridiculous way. Like, the dialogue is so, like, not anything a person would say. But they're like, you're this, like, you know, spicy Hispanic cop. And you need to, like, you know, constantly say fuck every single sentence because that's <laughs> important. And the same for, like, Arnold. It was like we kind of normalized Arnold. Because Arnold every time Arnold would curse in a movie, it's, like, very unnatural. You know? Yeah. It's just so it's like complete Hollywood culture where they're like, this is what you have to say. And it just yeah. doesn't, doesn't feel right at all. Um, and I, the whole time watching predator two the other day, I kept thinking like, there's some really ripe dialogue in this movie. Like just in terms of just expressing yourself through cursing. It's so uh, good. It's so good. It's so good.
0: <laughs> I've, you know, I've really found myself drawn to movies of the, the early nineties, 90 to like 95, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, I, I, obviously, I grew up in the 80s, love 80s movies, but there's a certain... I was coming of an age in the early 90s and the mid-90s, and there's a certain movie magic where we haven't... It's not so sterile. It's... You remember in the in the 70s where the, the movie studios basically were going bankrupt and filmmakers um, had carte blanche to do whatever they want, and you had this film renaissance in the 70s of all these really gritty movies. I feel almost the same way about the 90s where... There was really interesting things being made on every budget imaginable. And even if it was a really bad budget, you could still enjoy the movie. It didn't matter Mm -hmm. if it was, you know, a $50,000 movie or whatever it was or show. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to love Lex, which is a really bad sci fi show out of Canada that had (laughs) almost zero money for, but but the, the concepts of the things and the characters were so interesting that I, I watched it constantly. And I, I missed that fun yeah. movies, the mummy, I will always watch the mummy if it comes on. I know yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort yeah. of like a, a cliche, but Brendan Fraser really deserves the, the love that he gets now because mm-hmm. we don't have that kind of that character or that actor anymore. That is what he did.
2: It's gone. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I love, Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say well in the 80s you know you had again going back to what we were talking about like the 80s were a response to reality through fantasy it's like all the leading actors in the 80s were all like muscle bound you yeah. know tough guys whereas I feel like in the 90s it shifted in the 90s it was more like they were sort of like lovable tough guys like they they. which Arnold I think you know both of them Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger tried to transition to that but you, you got it you really got it with people like Brendan Fraser where it was like the guy's kind of a goofball, you know, and he's capable of like swinging on a rope, but at the same time, he's, he's a goofball. Like he, you know, and it makes it more relatable because he's not, you know, just jacked and firing machine guns. Yeah. He he plays the himbo very well.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The nineties films I've been going back into, uh, just the, 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 the whole, the cinematography and the feeling of them is, is, is like, I don't know. Uh, you know whether it's like hackers or Goldeneye or uh, the first Mission Impossible, like I, I, which I just rewatched like the, the other day. I, I love the way those movies look. Yeah. they all have this feeling; they feel real. I, you know, like they don't. I don't know. It's just everything is uh, as of late is just so overblown. <laughs> like it's like yeah. on you know. I I just yeah. I'm very picky about new films that come
0: out. And I think that's rightfully so. Um, It was interesting. You talked about Crimes of the Future. Kyle and I saw that in theater together. Have you seen it yet? I have not. It's on the list. Um, It's interesting. I I had a thought. um, And it's, you know, it's got all this hype about, well, people walked out in the first five minutes of the screening. And it's this really, like, I almost think it didn't go far enough um, (laughs) comparative to, like, You know, movies of the '90s where like you have Event Horizon, which is the A B movie cusp yeah. thing. The the there's some things in there that are very very disturbing. Crimes cool. of the Future doesn't even touch anything in that movie, not well, even agree, remotely. You know. Huh. Uh, so Crimes of the Future, while if you like D- David Cronenberg and the ideas that he explores, you will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suggest it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. It, if you're expecting like this really like gruesome, like graphic, gore, body horror thing, it it you leaves you a little like left like, eh, Well, you know, I've seen like the video yeah. drama is way worse than than <laughs> yeah. this. If if you um, find awkward people frightening,
3: yeah, Kristen Stewart <laughs> people... is an eleven out of ten at that in this yeah. movie. Yeah.
2: Um, and i think it, I it also, has go ahead oh no his son's uh, film uh yes. processor have you seen that one
0: uh-huh and oh. antiviral yeah yeah Both. That,
2: that. i loved it i loved processor
1: yeah yeah I, I thought it was go ahead matt no i was gonna say the movies that you just referenced from the 90s i think are interesting because they're also all like um you know goldeneye specifically uh <laughs> is there's like a those films all have a really unique sonic footprint too like you know and i think goldeneye for our generation was basically like you know gilded as the video game which then borrowed all those and i think like going taking tying it back to music like uh you know that was a cool era. It was a weird era yeah. for synthesizers because mm-hmm. suddenly Definitely. everything was like very icy and and digital. Like most yeah. most of my shit that I have in here is analog, but I do have a I've got an Insonic uh, VFX SD, yeah. which is great because I love that um, that like James Horner, uh, or um, Eric Serra is another one. You know, I love that that like you, they'd hit a chord and just drop the pitch wheel like drop it like an octave you know to be this long but it's like digital so it's like this long digital slide he does it all the time in red heat which i'm like every time it happens i'm like i love it you know victor's like walking around in the street and it's like and i I love it because it's so it's just it was so new you know and i think that was the difference like you had all those films in the 80s it was like everything was new technology and then in the 90s it was like new technology we have new technology now but what we have now is more like we can do anything and it's like yeah. you know and sometimes there's a real limitation to that like i remember being in school and sitting in like a studio at school and it'd be a this million dollar studio with like a giant ssl console and it's like all this outboard gear and i mean you could have you should have just handcuffed me because like i just felt like okay where do i fucking start you know there's just too much yeah t- too much to decide here and there's something really too like that sort of fair light thinking of like okay i got this one fancy ass synthesizer that i dropped forty thousand dollars on i'm gonna make the whole score with it you know and then poof flight of the navigator you know like i think like Mm. you know there's something to that like i think magic happens when you have less options sometimes it's good to have everything in the world
2: i've slimmed it down in in this room yeah I, i i have been purchasing more outboard stuff i got it's a couple new uh 500 series racks that i really really like um but as far as synthesizers, really the newest thing is just a bucola system and uh, it's not here yet and the Moog one which yeah. i that was for me that was the thing i was like i want to write every i want everything to sound like this thing you know yeah but uh yeah, the storage unit is full of stuff. I should probably just <laughs> Sell. open up a reverb store. You know, yeah, I don't know. I I'm dreading the day when I have to move, <laughs> like this, because I just I don't know if you've seen the Flock Audio, uh, patch, yeah, uh, system. Yeah. So I got I got that all set up, and it's it's it is incredible. Not having to plug crap in. It's all set up, ready to rock. Like it's yeah. the greatest thing ever.
1: I was always I was always really influenced by the Vangelis approach, which was like he every photo you saw of him from the seventies, he's in a studio, usually with his shirt open and like a thing. Looking <laughs> <Yeah. clean. laughs> very sexy, that. yeah. But um he had he had his speakers hanging and he had like a giant console and then he had all of his synths and everything was on. And it was yep. basically set up so that he could sit in there with an with an engineer and he'd just play shit and like yep. everything was ready to go. And I've always, I don't like patch bays. I don't like, nope. I want everything to just be ready to roll. So mm-hmm. I'm, I can just move and do whatever I need to do when I need to do it. Yeah. Um, Cause all that stuff slows you down. And it, oh, getting, for, yeah. for me, it kills me. Cause I'm like all, whatever creative path I was on is now, you know, there's a roadblock.
2: Uh, wrangling cables are not my, as far as I'll go as the, the, <laughs> the mo- modular cables, but yeah. I just, yeah, That's, that was a big thing was to really figure out how to wire it all up so you can just flip it on and record, you know, yeah. with, with little, you know, little work, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, a, it's an ever evolving thing. But that, 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 uh, that Flock audio thing is like uh, was a huge step for me. Because I had tons of outboard stuff for, for a while, but I didn't really use it because I was like, this is such a pain in the ass. The patch bay <laughs> never really worked right. It was always kind of, it was weird. The balance was wonky. Like, I, it just never worked. And now it's like, oh no, everything just, you just got to turn it on. That's it. Boom.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, great. Seth, because like, you know, we, we had a discussion uh, last time you we were on about like the work you went to with making Galactic Melt, the, the process of that, um, it, it, do you think that some of the hardship of some of that sparks? It's like a limitation, right? If it's hard, yeah. it's a limitation. Um, do you think some of that sparks the creative imagination? If you know, okay, well, shit, I've got to patch this thing and scroll through a menu and plug this cable in. And if this cable isn't hanging just right, it's not going to sound right. Does that help create the the, the whatever it is that you're making? Um, where now it's like if you just oh, I turn it on and it's easy and I can just start playing keys and we're, we're good to go uh,
2: yeah I, uh, I think the struggle drove it uh, quite a bit but I also think that you know w- w- with that the, you, you know, you'd know, you eventually or inevitably run into your happy accidents with just things you know not recording right or, or what you thought would be right and then it comes out completely different on the other end and uh, now it's like I, I, I see like i think of that system that i got set up not it's more of a sort of a facilitator that i can much uh, you know in a much faster way get what i want because mm. i know what i want finally after years of right. doing this then like you know having to like you know unplug stuff and plug stuff in and like i uh, didn't record right and having to do it now it just like it works so i feel less of a burden, there's far less cables, like, you know, yeah. used to look like chaos in here. And uh, It's a workflow thing. Yeah, I don't know if it really is detrimental to my creativity. I think, if anything, it inspires me more. I like having all the little little EQs and stuff and it's it's like, yeah, it's like I, like I do a lot of things in the box, but it's also nice, well now I don't have to, now I have this awesome compressor over here that I can just bang something through, you know, and like it definitely imparts some quality. I know like, you know, it's a whole thing where, you know, but I still do a lot of things in the box, but now I have the opportunity like to really do it. And it's just on top of that, it's investment back into my craft, I guess, you know, because yeah you need tax write-offs, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a, huge driving force in the equipment. Um, but you know, I just, I don't know. I, I'm just finally really happy with the, the, the things in this room and, and, and I'm trying to use them and it's really not that much. I, I have the Moog one, the Krumar bit one, the profit six and the Juno one Oh six. I, I just picked up a, um, the Waldorf iridium, Oh, not too long ago, and I got the Black Corporation, uh, Kajimi, mm. Eurax stuff, and the Buchla stuff. And that sounds like a lot, but to me, that's I, I don't. That's not. That's like the perfect. Yeah. And then you know, I use whatever plugins I use. You know, I, I like the Artura stuff. Sometimes I start that way because I don't feel like dealing with any of the stuff, and I'll just and get something concrete, and then go to that and and record it. You know, like so I know how to dial it in perfectly. You know. It's all about yeah workflow and, and time management for me definitely
1: i think it always boils down to like you know am i using it you know a lot of yeah. stuff i just will straight up sell because i'm just yeah. like i'm not using it and if i'm not using yeah. it, it's just sitting there and mm-hmm. i almost find that to be burdensome for me mentally just to look at it and be like i'm not mm-hmm. using it um, Oh, but the idea then having to try and sell it to is difficult <laughs> That I mean, is also difficult. Yes, it, it is tricky, but a lot of stuff—I don't know—a lot of stuff sells, and it's like a. But there's a lot of there's also um, the trick, f- which I think is like uh, working with a lot of older synths can be a huge pain in the ass, just because yes. they they fail a lot. They have lots of issues, yep. and that's a pretty consistent uh, thing you have to consider. You know, like how and, yeah yeah
2: getting them repaired these days is also very tricky
1: you know i held out for a long time on uh, the prophet five i just didn't get one hey there tpa listeners eric here sorry for interrupting but this is the part where we do
0: some shameless self promotion and we'd like to give our sincere thanks for listening to the show and we are just as surprised as you are for listening but since you're here we'd like to highly encourage you to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and of course for all things the paradise arcade you can also visit us on theparadisearcade.com Please like, share, and review our episodes. We like interacting with you. We like to hear your feedback. What's your favorite part of the interview? What you thought was interesting? Who we should get on the show next? Those are all important things that we'd like to hear. And the last thing, if you really like this show and you want more and you wanna contribute, you could do something for us. You could find us on Patreon. You can contribute as little or as much as you want. On Patreon, you'll find some exclusive content that we will continue to update. Mostly, we just wanna say thanks for listening. We appreciate you. So let's get back to it. You are now listening to Paradise Because
1: I was like, I have so many friends that have these old Prophet Fives and they just, you know, they shit the bed all the time. Yeah. And you have to, and you got to ship it off. Somehow Nashville doesn't really have a solid synth shop to take it to it's very so interesting it's, it is really interesting considering the amount of studios that are here and like right. I, you know it's but true. uh i think you know if i've got a busted synth i'm gonna have to send it i'll send it to like switched on or somebody you know and so i got to ship it and and then have to worry that hopefully they're not going to like destroy it in shipment which is always scary um but i finally i finally pulled the trigger and got a profit 10 just because i'm like all right, you know, like they've they've got it. It's updated. It's not gonna break on me all the time, and it's a faithful yeah. recreation. And I'm like, you know,
2: and it's two
1: profit funds, and it's two profit <laughs> And yeah. so, like, I just, you know, I think um, it's weird. We're living in this kind of golden age of synthesizers because so much great, st- and again, largely live, uh, largely driven by Dave Smith. You know, yes, um, he Definitely. he had the vision. You know, he saw. You know, this I what was great about that guy is that he just always I never had the pleasure of meeting him. I always wanted to make my way out there and see him, but like you know, uh he was always a guy that very clearly like had musicians in mind. Always yeah. the gear he made, it's like nothing ever like a cash grab. It was like he was making stuff for a very specific purpose. Um and I mean the Prophet Five is arguably one of the most influential synthesizers of all time. I mean, just a just a powerhouse internally.
2: Everyone has heard it. Pop, Everyone pop has music, heard it.
1: Scoring, like sound effects design, like just an insane footprint that thing has.
2: Every um, single person probably on earth has heard it. You know what I mean? For yeah. the most part, you know, yeah. on, in some form or another. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, ex- I, I'm excited about the new Oberheimson. Uh, you know, but you know, I, I'm curious to see where sequential will go. Yeah. From here on out, you know, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully there's someone to carry the torch, you know, I think think there will be. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge loss to the music community. Yeah. Across the board. Let, you know, musicians, technology, the whole, the whole shebang. So
1: I'm glad that, yeah,
0: I'm glad that he was able to see the, the resurgence and the, the respect ultimately that happened. And, you know, I, I, i think about this all the time i think that there is a uh, a love of the synthesizer and and people display it in every way you could think of there's film and tv and and obviously we go back to the 80s stuff and then there's music uh there's obviously the you want the waves the all the various waves i and it's hard because like i think the both of you exemplify sort of this weird place where you both love you you are the age that you are you're influenced by the things that you were influenced by and you make music electronically and you've chosen to not necessarily go down a, a techno route or a drum and bass or idm or rave or whatever it is synthesizer based so you inherently get kind of lumped into this synth wave thing and i and i don't i don't think that's fair um, for either one of you because i think both of your music expands beyond that and, and clearly it shows that uh, you, both of your influences and where you work it, it goes beyond that um, but you kind of get lumped into this into this thing but it's it's a beautiful love letter to the fact that the synthesizer is now like this is a cool thing it's not a dorky thing that you hid in a closet you know where like greg almond is like hiding it because <laughs> i remember like uh there's was, i was reading a thing like greg allman bought like one of the first uh, some moog or something he spent like seventy thousand dollars on it and it was like a sort of a hush hush thing mm-hmm. and the both of you have in your own styles and your own ways have have carried that torch forward and it's sort of get lumped in this other thing but it's so more expansive than that and seth you're talking about we've we were talking about how we hope like the nineties becomes a thing. And I think that's true. It's, it's coming up where mm-hmm. we've got a next level of producers and artists who are born in the nineties, which freaks me out. Cause it makes me feel old. <laughs> you are, you are, you are. <laughs> I am, but you know that they're, they're influenced by, not by the things that we were influenced by, but sure. by nineties culture, the, the prodigy or apex twin is the thing mm-hmm. for them. And it's interesting where, because it's sort of nostalgic, they also get lumped into that sort of nostalgic scene. So you've got artists like Alex who they're a nineties kid. They're very much a nineties kid, but they get lumped into synth wave or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but I love the fact that like, it's a legitimate form of expression. It's, it's cool. It's something that, um, that you guys have validation for. You both have careers, uh, based off of the love of of what you do and and not really compromising in a sort of way. I mean, you're both uniquely you. You have the music that you output that is that's just who you are and you get these other opportunities that are amazing. Um and it's it's a great place to be in. It's it's weird because everyone has to label everything. Yeah. It has to be this thing. And that's unfortunate. You have to be a thing. You've got to yeah, be been, one thing or another.
1: I've been reading David Byrne's book. Uh, how music works which is a fantastic book i mean it could be like a textbook for like a college course um but it's interesting reading his trajectory for the talking heads and he's a guy who came out of graphic design and art uh you know and he comes out he's living in new york he's putting together a band you know they're kind of influenced by what they're influenced but it's like the you know you're talking about the 70s and then into the eighties. And it's like, I think in the eighties, you know, the synthesizer was very much, uh, like a new thing. Yeah. Um, and you, and you, know, you look back at the history, it's like when, when, uh, whoever you were referencing a second ago, you know, bought that synth and hit it, you know, he paid $70,000 for a modular, for a Moog modular basically. Mm-hmm. And most there's all these horror stories of like pop musicians buying those things and then they can't make a sound with them. And they're just like, <laughs> I don't fucking know. Um, and you know, Really, it was Bob Moog, and you t- we're talking about um, Dave Smith. Dave Smith think, you know, was lucky enough to live long enough to see the thing come back, whereas Moog didn't have that opportunity, really. Um, yeah. And, you know, but Moog and and uh, Deutsch, they figured out like they were like, let's put a slap a keyboard on this thing and make it small and portable. And they made the mini Moog and it changed the whole world. I mean, it changed yep. music and yep you know, they were kind of competing horses, and then you had out on the west coast, who's just like, fuck it, I'm making noises. You guys yeah. are on your own. Um, and, but I think that like, you look at the history of, you know, music in the 80s with synth- with synthesizers it was pop music. You know, it was like, there was, it was prevalent in popular music, and that's something that Burn, yeah. Burn talks about a thing. In the 90s, it changed, where it wasn't about pop music, it was about electronic music and you go in a record store and there'd be 37 electronic subgenres. you know, I've got my drum and bass. I've got my UK drum and bass. I've got my drill and bass. I've got my, you know, it's like 600 different genres, mm-hmm. but it's like, it was so hyper niche and curated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rise of labels like warp or even you could put ghostly in that, in that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, um, you witness, uh a thing that happened where it it was it challenged a lot of you know what what was music and how was music i remember hearing square pusher for the first time which influenced me just as much as daft punk or whoever you know hearing that and going okay i understand these are snare drums but i don't understand how the fuck they're doing what they're doing you know and that really got me to start thinking about sequencing and about computer music and Mm -hmm. um You know, and now even today, like the other day, Beyonce released a track that's like 90s rave piano, you know, and it's it's like a (laughs) rave track. And like, I'm here for that. I think that's great. I'm like, go for it. You know, I I, there are no rules. Um, And and it's weird because there's a bunch of kids out there that are listening to the new Beyonce song who have no fucking idea of what rave music is, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of cool. Like, I think it is an interesting paradox that we're sort of living through. Not just in terms of the dumpster dumpster fire of humanity, but also through like <laughs> the music, kind of going full circle and and opening all these weird doors for people.
0: I would say the 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 only po- the most positive thing musically in our societies. There seems like there's no rules. Mm-hmm. It seems like you could be 16 and you can listen to something from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It literally does not matter. And you see a lot of music producers now that confined because I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, in Minnesota, and so you you basically work, you got to listen to rock music, you got to listen to country music, and that was it, and that's that's how it was, and you yeah. couldn't experiment between the the things that if you did,
1: was spicy. That's yes. the word. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. The '90s were about experimentation, and I yeah. think, yeah. like Seth, you talked about hackers, right? well hackers is a hugely formative formative soundtrack yeah oh yeah you think about the reach that that movie had and then later train spotting it was like those oh yeah those i bet train spotting soundtrack got more people into electronic music than it gets credit for i think more people went and saw that movie and heard uh born slippy at the end and were like what in the fuck is this you know and I mean, there, I, I remember reading like, oh, this is our, our uh, generation's stairway to heaven, which I think is just journalistic weirdness. But like, yeah, there is Hyperbally. there is some truth to that. I think that there, you know, that was felt far and wide.
2: Seeing uh, the Chemical Brothers block rocking beats video on MTV blew my fucking mind. Yeah, I knew I knew instantly that's uh, I, that's I, that was my whole thing. You know what I mean? And then. You know, finding drum and bass later down the road, and 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 I was just, you know, I, I don't know if you remember MTV had uh, Amp, do you remember? Yeah. And uh, they yeah. did those couple of compilation CDs. Uh,
1: and 120. And those
2: minutes. were those, yeah, those were great, yeah. And um, I just, yeah, we we uh, we come from a, yeah, it's just a strange to think about. The 90s because i also grew up in a small town so i was not exposed to any sort of music outside you know like nine Inch nails was the first band i really ever yeah. like was obsessed with you know mm. and then you know little did i realize how much electronic music i was being influenced by that was their music that was in their music i just wasn't aware of of the same usages of that within a different context, you know, like, you know, it's all it's synthesizers everywhere. You know what I mean? But I really didn't, I didn't focus on that part of the music at that time until much later. And then yeah. once I, you know, heard other things, I was just like, wow, you know, it's, it was there all along. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, cause even, you know, growing up hearing like, you know, like culture club and, 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 you know, Billy Joel and, 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 and You know, Peter Frampton and all kinds of different stuff. And then, you know, there was always synthesizers hidden in that music, but I, you know, I never really, I didn't, I probably didn't really give a shit. (laughs) Paula Notes, for that matter. Yeah. I I just, you know, Bobby Brown, my mom used to listen to Bobby Brown like a lot. And, 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 uh, I just, yeah, I remember all the cassette tapes in the, in the drawer in the kitchen, (laughs) you know? And, uh, yeah, it's weird to see,
1: you know, I remember as a kid, like, my mom was really into, I mean, she saw a bunch of classic rock, you know, she saw Led Zeppelin a bunch of times and Pink Mm -hmm. Floyd and she didn't I don't know, the record I remember her having, though, was Yes Songs and like, putting that vinyl on, you know, it's like three records or whatever and, you know, hearing Rick Wakeman, you know, just ripping on these, you know, giant. he had a giant Moog modular, but he actually fucking used it and like, you know, and it's uh it's i remember as a kid like looking at the the all the artwork you know the the floating landscapes and all the strange and just it's a transformative thing you're just like oh shit this is amazing you think that it's a uh, for all of us the foundation of love of
0: like of vinyl records because you have i remember also growing up and having vinyl records that's what we listened to that's what we had in our house and so Mm -hmm. you'd you'd open it up and you'd see these beautiful images and you'd see all these the liner notes and everything else and and it was like here's the total experience so i remember even before i could read i remember listening to a record and looking at the images of the record on the on the jacket and everything and that was part of my listening experience to whatever my parents records were at the time and it was so you know just influential and impactful on me if, like if you don't have some other visual thing to go along with it, it it almost seemed like i feel like i'm being robbed
2: yeah uh yeah and it's interesting now i think that was a huge part and even just cds and cassette tapes just having the physical thing and the art was just like you know it's something else and, and now you can see because we're so very much streaming platform oriented um you know how they're how there you know now they're in like to say spotify they're doing the the, the visuals behind the, the track you know what i mean but like yeah is that meant to like am i supposed to stare at my phone the whole time while I'm listening it to look at you know what i mean like i yeah. get I get, but I don't really see the point. Cause like when I listen to music, the last thing I want to do is like stare at my phone, you know, like yeah. I, I <laughs> put it down and listen to the music. So like, does that, all that content that's being generated for all of this music, does it really like, is it, is it even useful? You know what I mean? Is it just taking up space? You know, well,
1: I don't know. It be- becomes kind of like a corporate feedback loop. You know, when yeah. I, started, when I started putting out records, like I, you know, there's a guy I've worked with for years. Uh, he's a graphic designer, my buddy Casper. And he, uh, he's, an amazing artist, amazing designer, but he he would kind of really lean into me on the fact that like, you know, always do vinyl because that's the largest format for the artwork that you're gonna get. So you're gonna see it in all of its glory. And it's like, yeah, if you look at a a classic record that has an an amazing, the artwork is amazing, you know, like like, I don't know, Bitches Brew or something, you know, like where it's this incredible piece of art and it's like, yeah, well, you know, most people nowadays it's a thumbnail on their phone, yeah. you know? And that's the reality that you're up against. It's like, yeah, you know, Seth, you're going to work on your design for your record. And most people are going to experience that as a one by one you know, thing. And, and that sucks. It's a distillation of like the art that you've made. Uh, and it, there's no way around it. Cause we're, uh, we, yeah. yeah, we inhabit that space. So either you're into vinyl or you're not, if you're not, you're missing out, cause there's a huge, you know, there's something really big about, and also like I remember, uh, I was reading an interview that someone did with Steve Jobs and, and the guy showed up and he had his iPhone and he put it on the table and he had it like in a big case and, and Steve Jobs apparently picked it up and just was sort of uh, saying, oh, it's a shame you've got a, uh, you know, a case on this. And the guy was like, well, I gotta protect it, you know, it's expensive. And he's like, yeah, but there's something about the way it wears, you know? Um, the way it looks when it kind of gets, and nowadays all, the iPhones are all glass and it's like, you're just going to yeah. shatter the fuck out of it. But like, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's not they making he, out of glass. He's not yeah. wrong though. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, we were if, just a while ago talking about blade runner and alien and the, the patina and the wear yeah. of the technology. Um, there's something about that too. Like with a vinyl record, it's like, you know, I have tons of records and the records that get beat up over, I have a lot of my mom's old records and it's like, yeah. You know the creases and the little tape on the end. It's like people the go to rash, great lengths. Yeah. People go to great lengths now to recreate that in their artwork. You mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, there are some that reason. have like pre-ring wear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. them already. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've I mean, done it. I've done yeah. it. <laughs> it's a. But I mean, that's a thing. I mean, it's a. It's a definite. It's a feeling. You know. Yeah. And we don't get that. I mean, your Spotify is not going to have any wear and tear. It's going to be clean yeah. and digital forever. I
2: feel like. um I feel like the artwork is very, very important to the music, uh, at least personally. And I I do feel like, I don't know, does this, uh, maybe the way that we consume music now, uh, I mean, you know, the the general public, does it weaken the art, you know, or will we not have art with music, you know, someday because it's just, you know, it's not going to be manufactured, it's not going to be printed? I I don't know. be interesting to see where this goes because i don't want to know know. there was the yeah the vinyl (laughs) resurgence and stuff like that and and, and i think it's still going i don't know if it has slowed down all that much but like everything across the board has slowed down as far as you know just the you know manufacturing times and, and and covid and all that so it's you know
1: it's hard. It's know.
2: it's yeah, and then you know you just talk about like all the other art too that goes on merch and things like that, and you know it's all so important to the music, and and, and aside from a financial gain, it's like you know this uh, this album art is is representative of everything that's in this album, and then you know this this T-shirt is just as much uh, has just as much importance with you know with that whole narrative or whatever so i don't know people are still buying things definitely but you know where you know i hear all the time We're gonna have to break the mold of the streaming but i just don't see it happening i think it's going to get a lot more a lot more uh a lot more digitized than it already is you know what i mean i wonder
3: how things are going to turn out because you know like what was mentioned earlier we're all old people <laughs> behind Ooh. us. We've got shelves full of physical media mm-hmm. and, you know, someone could come over to my house. Like one of you guys could come over here and take a look at what I've got. And that would sort of tell you a story of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And say for kids now who are just consuming stuff in the digital realm, like, will they have a story to tell?
2: Yeah, what's their what's their identity or how do you how do you kind of formulate their identity without like go literally going through their phone you know what yeah I mean? and yeah.
3: you know say if whatever app they were using doesn't exist anymore like say tiktok goes away and they could be like well when tiktok was around i used to be really cool
1: and i did all these yeah. things but you know how, I, we how do you quantify this right now uh, i uh i ditched Spotify, Cause I had both. I had Apple music and Spotify and yeah. same thing. Like I hate the UI on Apple music. Um, but I was like, I'm just going to pick one and where yeah. I am, Apple music worked better. So I was just like, all right, I'm just going to stick with Apple music. So I, I ditched it. And when I ditched it, I like lost all of my liked stuff. It's just, it, yeah. j- they just wiped it. And, yeah. um, it was interesting because I was thinking about it from the context of like, there's that, there's like a scene in, um, what's the movie High Fidelity with uh, with John Cusack and he's like sitting on the floor and he's uh, he's he's uh, organizing his vinyl based on autobiographical which is totally ridiculous <laughs> yeah. but also like absolutely true right yeah you know, I was music, say, I'm like, you know Pitch, Pitchfork does that series where they talk about like the 515 25 like you go through the history of your life and what records were important to you at that time we all like anybody who loves music can do that and mm-hmm. I think that there is a strange thing where like all that's being parsed down to essentially a a metric or a spreadsheet or a list in an app, you know, and not a collection of, of things, you know? Um, And it's, it's weird. Like I probably got, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 3000 CDs on a wall, they're all on shelves. I mean, Mm -hmm. at this point they're furniture, you know, it's like, you know, I can't tell you the last time, but I mean, I went into a Best Buy for the first time in like 10 years and the vinyl section in Best Buy was bigger than the CD section. Yeah, um, and it's, it's small, like, and that vinyl section is small too. It's all small, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I remember when it was like half the store was music, mm-hmm. you know, and you yeah. spent yeah, that was your record store. But I think <laughs> too, like a lot of kids in small towns, I mean, their record store is a target, you know, which yeah. is yeah. really depressing. Um, yes, it's not a Walmart.
2: Yeah. yeah, I yeah. I went into uh, Best Buy recently too, and it just felt like the whole store was like washers and dryers. Yeah, (laughs) and refrigerators and stuff. It really was like it was a jarring experience. And um, just back to like you know, I just remember growing up, my parents took pictures of everything. They weren't that we didn't have the we weren't a camcorder family or anything like that. But so many physical photos, and that is like gone. No one does that. No. And I'm just like, so I mean, those photos will last forever unless they are burn up you know or whatever mm-hmm. but now it's like it's all on our phones is like i don't know generations from now like will people look at you know like how are we, how are you gonna you know what i mean once it's it could just all go in a second you know
0: i don't mean to be especially dystopian here but i really feel <laughs> i really feel like there is going to be at some point as maybe not our generation but you know gen z um gets older that there is going to be a digital life curator there is gonna be a service or a company that is gonna go through your all your shit Mm -hmm. and curate your life for you to to pass down to your family
1: as your life. i feel like we have that but it's like a shadow curator i mean it's because everybody's always like oh my phone's listening to me i was scrolling instagram and there was an ad for a thing i was talking it's like well no they don't they just track your location and everyone else's location and who you're hanging out with and where you're going and the thing that you looked at for 0.01 second longer than the other thing and they are able to hyper accurately like you know tell you what you need yeah, and you know that's kind of that's as dystopian as it gets. I think it's uh, pretty
2: gross. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's really intense. And you know, but we've all we've all gone through the terms and conditions <laughs> of all yeah. those websites. It was interesting being. It was interesting being in Germany for two weeks because they the EU just passed uh, a law, you know, that prohibits the whole cookies and like what they can track. And so when you when I was using my phone in Germany websites i would normally go to were suddenly popping up and saying do you want to opt out of that and i was like oh shit like that's a step in the right direction um yes uh you know i don't see that happening here anytime soon but it was definitely (sighs) interesting to see you know that's the day and age we listen we live in it's like there's more consideration being given to these sort of intrusive elements that are you know what's interesting about that is that
0: it really wasn't that difficult for them to implement no. You, you hear about the resistance to some of these things about either privacy rights or consumer rights and about how it's, the, it's just this Herculean effort to do, mm-hmm. but it really isn't. No. It's pretty simple.
1: Yeah. They broke it down pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think... It's interesting, you know, being a dystopian musician living through the actual <laughs> transition dystopia. to actual dystopia. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that influences the art or how that influences, um, you know, where it goes or what forms it takes. Um, I try to be optimistic through it. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to build a synth bunker and live down there with the synthesizers, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, but I, I think it's interesting for the, both of your music. I th- I think
0: in a way th- your music represents a lot of that, that fear of dystopia, the fear of loss of connection in the music and, you know, you know, Matt with your themes and, and Seth as well. You know, I think the through line of, of the calm truths that that character stories, the fear of, of the loss of, connection and in that direction that we're we're heading and it's interesting that you know you're you're both sort of along with other artists obviously like kind of like putting the the flare up to the warning of of where we're heading and and trying to do that through music to maybe spark ideas in people's minds you know obviously I, i think you're both a little bit cinematic matt you haven't really mentioned it as much as as seth but i think it's true like you know if you want to go back to like 88 88 that's very much a cinematic mm-hmm. album that
1: sort of speaks to maybe a bit of that fear I maybe not there's, just different... a, there's, there's a through line in synth music that's just it's by nature going to be te- technologically you know sort of um it's going to have that aesthetic or that veneer to it and um you know, I just it just seemed like a natural direction to go in, you know, um and that's I think what makes it so much harder, you know, living through as we're as we're sort of li- living through massive uh, historical events like it seems like weekly now um it's yeah. too much. I think that uh um yeah, I don't know, I don't know there's there's definitely like a level of um I don't want to call it guilt, but there's a level of sort of um. I don't know how to say it. It's not like exploitative, but it feels a little exploitative now as we're going through these things. Like thinking about, does it feel? Do I get the same joy that I was getting from making this music now that it's like feels very hyper present? Um, you know, but I think also there's a lot of the through line of of making that music is it's catharsis. It's me processing my emotion because I maybe can't say it out loud, so I can do it musically. Um, yeah. And that's important to me. Like, I think if I didn't have music, like if I was a banker, I don't think I would have made it. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have made it this far. And so, like, yeah. there's an expression that you're sort of, ex- and a lot of it. I mean, uh, modular is really uh, the the epitome of this for me. But you know, in many cases, it's music's like a handshake between you and the device. You're sort of setting some parameters, and you're having a conversation with it. And it's just you're you're both, you know, navigating the water together. And um, I think it's always going to be there it's always going to be present and that's always going to be the path that i have to take like whether i like it or not um so i don't know i don't know about the dystopian m- music meets dystopia <laughs> i don't know how that i don't, I don't know the direction uh that yeah. it goes yeah I it, it
0: i guess it, looping back around it seems We go back 10 years 12 years whatever it is releasing kind of pivotal albums around the exact same time and sort of alluding to some of these dangers and here we are in these dangers it it can't feel great like you want to be creative you want to be you want to do the things that you do but you know to to express the anxieties that you have personally through music what you see and then that thing come true in the way that you didn't want it to come true Mm. is like it. I mean, it, it's a, it's gotta be bizarre in some way Fantasy
2: to reality sort of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can't do a a thing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a certain element of it that's kind of like a horror film. I mean, it is in a way it's like um, I was having this conversation literally last night with some friends about, you know, Talking about horror films that we liked, and I was like, you know, it's hard because I think in in the in genre filmmaking, you can talk about horror films that are one way. Like, I would say there's there's kind of two camps of horror. It's like horror films that are like social horror films, like socially watchable. You know, like an Evil Dead Two. You get a bunch of people yeah. together and watch Evil Dead Two, and it's a hoot. You know, everybody's having fun. Um, but then there's other movies where I'm like, that was a that was a horrible film in terms of like how intense it was, but I appreciate how well it was made. Like a movie like Requiem for a Dream or Irreversible. (laughs) Like I'm never going to watch that again, but, but you know, I would, I would definitely list those films and say, those are just like powerhouses of experience that you should definitely not for everybody, but like, you know, and I think, um, it's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like you're kind of like, uh, you, you look back on it and you say, okay, I, I know where I was when I made those records and I know what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And it feels a little bit like a slow motion car crash. You know, you're just yeah. sort of, um, you can't not look at it and can't not, can't not think of it. And you have to just sort of go with it. You have to ride the wave, you know?
2: Yeah.
3: I once watched, I saw the devil with a girl and it was kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's not good <laughs> uh,
2: yeah.
3: to,
0: to totally like flip left field. Get away from this depressing subject a little bit. Um, this is my
3: zone. Come on. This is where I live. <laughs> I know you live in depression zone.
0: Um, Seth, has there been any thought for you? I mean, you talking about like how you're releasing music are doing composing under your name proper. Um, Has there been thought of you doing other projects to explore different facets of your musical creativity? Because you have other aliases, so... Yeah.
2: I want to. I want to do other things, and I'd like to, you know, finally get my little net label off the ground. And even if it's just a release, my own weird side projects, like, just to have 12 artists that are all me, you know what I mean? But, like... I will just say that I'm feeling very lazy about just things, I, I don't know, it, it, it's hard to not let what's going on in our in our country affect, uh, in the, the world, sorry, um, affect you, but I don't know, you really got to try pretty hard to, like, push it all aside and, like, you know, um, kind of shoulder through it, but yeah I don't know because I and the hard part of that is I don't see it getting any better
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, for the interim yeah
2: yeah and like that but I mean how long can I use that excuse to like you know sit on my hands you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I don't know I, I really just think I'm gonna have to I have to force myself to like you know maybe maybe I'll yeah, have to write more about my what I'm really Thinking and not necessarily uh, based on a fictional narrative, you know.
1: Is yeah. the is the process of writing music cathartic for you? Sometimes. Yeah.
2: I think with everything that's been going on over the last couple of years, I think doing the like the film and the and the commercials and things like things like that have been way easier than trying to write music for myself, for fans, you know, for that that kind of stuff. So, is that you know, a pressure? I gladly, thing?
1: Uh, like do you feel pressure to to sort of deliver
2: sometimes but like you know i i haven't been getting as many of the messages like where's the new shit you know like yeah which is nice because it's like you know if you ask me it doesn't matter i don't see it'll show up when it shows up you know what i mean so Mm. but those you know i just i've also stopped really looking at that stuff um for the most part and just uh yeah i mean if anything i'm making myself feel pressured, pressuring myself Uh, and, and the external sort, like the label and stuff. They don't, you know, they're just once in a while, they'll be like, Hey, you got anything new we can hear, but like, they're not super pushy and my lawyer he's not super he's my manager and lawyer but he's not super pushy and like he just messaged me last night and was like he's like you feeling inspired or has the world got you got you down and i was like i don't know you know it's kind of it's it's pretty it's pretty fucked up out there (laughs) i I just you know i'm i'm having a hard time you know finding it you know in myself to like just sit here and do it so i i I don't know but there's I, i gotta just like a little bit of elbow grease and I can, I can, I can find my fight my way through it. But you know, it's like we, everybody, all of us handle all of this stuff differently. And it's just,
1: are, the, are um, you the kind of person creatively who the, the shoe kind of has to drop. It's like, you need to find that sliver of inspiration. And then once you've got it, you're like, I'm gone.
2: Yeah. I've always been like, I'm not going to do shit until it really, I like it. I'll, I'll know. you know like a lot of my records um after like most of the the stuff that's been released after galactic melt was very much like that was like sitting around doing nothing until it just like uh, strikes and then it's like finish the record in a week you know what i mean like that's how it's been for me so and every time that that happens after a release it just the, the it gets longer and longer in between which it's fine because i'm not trying to like jam stuff down people's throats and i don't want to just release a shitload of music just to do it i'm not gonna I, i'd rather be broke than like just put stuff out to like make money you know what i mean like that's yeah. that's not why i got into it i th- when i when this all first started for me the only thing i really really wanted was to have music on a vinyl record that was it i never thought i'd tour or go anywhere you know i never thought i'd do anything like that you know what i mean like i was perfectly happy in advertising like you know I was good i was young i was making great money and like i liked my job you know and then you know it's not that i don't like my job now it's just <laughs> some after 12 years of like being my own boss it's it sometimes it gets difficult to like really you know yeah. force yourself to do stuff but when a project comes along like a film or something like that where you're, you're you know that's where I, i'm like that process alone going through that like definitely inspired me i am definitely feeling inspired it's just i just get overwhelmed when i sit down and try to like do it i'm just like "Ah, i'm tired like you know like i don't know it's Mm -hmm. just i just feel worn out
1: are you able to are you able to um kind of divorce your creative process from the business end of it how much overlap is there because i know that's that i think that's kind of the age-old question for artists like it's it's really hard especially when you get to a certain level You know, it's the old adage mo money mo problems like you get to a certain <laughs> level and it's like everybody has expectations and there's a million people now and everybody wants a percentage and you're you know having to chase down you know all the facets of copyright and publishing and all this bullshit and it's that end of it tends to get i'm very much like yeah. i I can't handle that stuff because if nope. I have yeah. to get into the weeds on that, my brain yeah. explodes. Like I'm just, yeah, like, I, yeah.
2: My manager lawyer, he is, uh, he's he's um, incredible. I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Like. Good. I don't have to think about it no invoice no paperwork no nothing like if i go play a show i play the show i show up uh, mm-hmm. i leave you know what i mean i don't have to okay. sign for anything I don't have to, it's all done through the agency like i i am definitely set up where i i like i can literally just write the music you know Good. and I, I interact with when it's the film score or when it's things like that obviously you interact with with people a little bit more but like when it comes down to like the paperwork and the and and, and the, all the legalities of things like that's mm-hmm. that's not my wheelhouse i don't even want to focus yeah. on it i'm even trying to get away from being the sole person that does the social media stuff just because like i feel like it distracts the shit out of me from yeah. like getting anything done like I'm definitely able to separate it, but I also feel anxiety when separating, like, oh, am I not doing enough? Uh, you know, so I, I, it's just about finding a balance, and it's very hard to find that balance.
1: Even the, even the concept of the balance, though, I think is something that's sort of been bred into us by yeah. that social media culture. I mean, so much conversation is happening now about how uh, artists are now your content managers. That's what yeah. you're doing. You're just cr- yeah. creating content for platforms. Um, yeah. And that sucks.
0: That's a drag. You spend seventy percent of your time. If you're, you know, like the both of you are established, you've long history, but if you're a a small business owner or any kind of boutique thing, seventy percent of your time is social media, Mm -hmm. and thirty percent of your time is the actual creative part, Mm -hmm. and that's a real struggle because Mm -hmm. that really takes away. That's time. Time is a thing that you can't exchange you can't get more of you can't pay for more of it is finite
1: and that kind of brings bringing bringing me back to the dystopia there was that whole thing with um who was it halsey where she was like they my label wants me to make a viral post on tiktok because i have a new single but that was the viral post it was like yeah me yeah having <laughs> to make fu- a viral oh post. my god and it was like, but i mean it, it's so indicative of that whole thing it's like you know any which way you can, you know, but it, that's, you're totally right. Like any artist is like, okay, I got to make five posts today, you know, because I got it. Cause that's the level of engagement. I got to do three reels.
2: Yeah. It's like, fucking kill that, that, no.
1: that, is, that is the no. worst no. thing. Yeah. Oh my I haven't posted I, on any social
3: media for the longest time. It's been nice. Does it yeah, thinking, I, feel,
2: <laughs> I feel stressed out when I have to like post more than once in a day, you know, okay. Here's the thing. You you don't have to. I know, but well, I mean, if it's like, you know, I did that Soundfly course, and and they Mm. post a lot, and I only post a little, and I I feel bad for not posting everything, but I'm also like, I I I I I don't know. I I I feel like, yeah. I have to make
0: a, a, publicly here. I have to give you a thank you for the Soundfly thing. Someone (laughs) asked me to thank you for that, and inspired them it inspired them to, to make music and not necessarily Com True's music, yeah. but just the way that the, what you did and how you did it, it spoke to them in a way that was like, okay, I'm I'm not going to just listen to music. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the leap and actually make music. And so I was asked to give you a thank you for that soundfly thing. Awesome. Um, so it, it is effective. And that's the thing is like, you're right that the social pressure of like, well, Soundfly is obviously hyping the shit out of this because they've got Comtrus, yeah, and, they that's, and that's their business. they that's their business. Yeah. They want to do do the thing. But you know what? It it inherently already got people to listen to it and get into it and then start doing that thing, and so yeah. um, it's effective. You don't have to do shit. <laughs> I feel like Comtrus is like at the point where. Do what you want to do and don't do what you don't want to do oh that's yeah. good throwback i like that yeah <laughs> throw that back uh, uh because you've been around both of you have been around long enough where it's not like you're establishing yourself who is makeup of any set or who is Calm trues like the people that need to know know who it is and yeah. and you have and there are people that, that's our job you know in, in the background is exposing people to new things and so that's why I spend a lot of time on it well you like this thing well you need to listen to this thing if you like Com trues then you like this thing or if you like this thing you like Com trues listen to Com trues or whatever it is and you've you've got a whole network of people that are very passionate and I was going to loop back around to you know the the sort of lamentation of like um, streaming culture I don't listen I don't do any streaming at all I I have it because I have to because of the show but I don't I get yeah. new music because uh, because of people. Mm-hmm. I have a few friends, Kyle's one of them, or I have some other people that tell me, "Hey, listen to this shit. You like this shit. You need to listen to this." And then I do the same thing. I return that favor. So Matt, I send mm-hmm. you shit all the, you know, True. pretty frequently, yeah. Yeah. right? Like you I kind of know a little bit about your taste, so I send you stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really that the underground mentality of, of curators is very alive and well it hasn't mm-hmm. gone away so you have boutique labels stratford court or polycore or these other things mm-hmm. that they curate a very specific taste and if you're into that taste you could trust like a warp records you yeah. like i like warp records so i'm going to buy everything that they do you have you still have those curation things that are not dependent on an algorithm It's a human element of decision-making to say this thing is cool. I like this thing and you should like this. And this is why you should like this thing. That's what we do uh, with this show. Um, And and so that's sort of my role a little bit more of of taking a step back after doing this for some years is like, I like this thing. You should listen to this thing and connecting people to the music instead of an algorithm that may miss uh, something or decision yeah. fatigue. I can't, yeah, I don't yeah. stream yeah. either because it's just
3: I am overwhelmed by the amount of options that there are. I can't do yeah. it. I face the same thing when going into a record store. So the last time that I went into an amoeba records. Your brain just go blank. I I was just like I. That's what happens to me. Sorry guys, I'll
0: I'll meet you outside. I need to hang outside (laughs) because it's just too much stuff. Yeah, Yeah. I I can't do that. And so my cadence now is: you need to listen to this. Matt can attest to this. I say Mm -hmm. you need to listen to this. Here it is. Listen to this shit.
1: It's funny because the I think the first time I heard your music, Seth, was somebody sent me a the the mix thing that you were doing the computer cast. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody sent me that, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." You know, there's like a lot of cool old stuff in it, and it was like, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was into it, and then that led me to like check out the website, and that's where I saw uh, the record. And and again, awesome. like I, I, but I think that's kind of how it works. Like I think, um, you know, it's it's important to have those curated spaces because, yeah. and and labels are great at that because. Uh, the right labels you know they're just dudes that love putting out music you know I don't think anybody gets into a record I mean I think most people who run record labels would attest that they lose a lot of friends like it's a <laughs> shitty business to be in nobody actively is like I want to be in the music business that sounds like a good idea um but it's it is it's about doing you know putting music out that you love and you know giving people the shot so yeah, yeah. It's, it's being totally. passionate
0: about the thing and it and I want to bring this up. Because I have a question for you, Seth. Are you aware Mm -hmm. that there is a new emerging genre of music that kind of takes your sound and mixes it with IDM?
2: No. I don't believe I am.
0: So, Matt, I've sent you some of this stuff. So it's Mm -hmm. called Data Wave. Are you aware of Data Data Wave? wave.
2: no. I'm still out of the loop. (laughs) So it's
0: it's interesting. So this is a, a genre of music that's just starting to come up. That completely eschews, gets rid of any of the 80s stuff. It's not 80s-based at all. It is literally your your sort of Sethisms, the Comtrusisms mixed with Warp Records. So a lot of glitchy Apex Twin Squarepusher, Autature sort of things. And mixes them together. And it's been really interesting, um, the artists that are coming up. And again, this is very you're not going to find this necessarily like on a Wikipedia page as an official genre of music, yeah. but I find it very compelling because I like being excited by music. And you know, like your Seth, when I first heard your music, like it excited me about music again. And data wave is kind of another one of those things where it, like, like, Hey, I recognize these elements of things yeah. that I love. Um, and so like, you know, as what I sent you mad is like Clyde Shelton, Mm-hmm. um he'd be a data wave guy the new memorex memories um thing where they take these things that are not explicitly they're really not anything based in the 80s it's it's 90s based music it's idm based music um but then also these people being teenagers when your music dropped when galactic melt and iteration and those things dropped and mixing those things together and it's really interesting how it it's it keeps going and how someone takes these elements and then does something new and does something interesting. And you're not going to find that on a Spotify playlist because it's not really officially a thing. Yeah. So I was curious yeah. if you had heard about it, Seth. Um, I have
2: not. You'll have to send me some. I will you're...
0: send you anything you want. You're a, wa- you're a wave now. <laughs> not just music. <laughs> <South> yeah. Seth wave. <laughs> yeah. Seth wave.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean that it has to be because you did the soundfly thing, and obviously the a consequence of that is someone's going to take the lessons that you give and go. Well, I'm going to do something similar to that, right? And you're okay with that at it now, where it's like I, you know, is, you, is it thunderstorming there? What's oh
2: yeah, it's our daily uh, thunderstorm. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Um, and so you have to you're like you're at, at this point you're at least at peace with the fact that people are maybe going to do what you do and and try to copy sure. it.
2: I wasn't for a long time.
0: I know. not
2: not like, you know, I wasn't, nothing I do is like, you know, like it's so (laughs) sacred, you know. But like, I think a lot of that was I didn't really necessarily know how to really explain what I did. Because it's like I don't have any formal music training whatsoever. And a lot of it is just experimentation until I find something that really moves me. And then I just run with it. So to like do a course on basically on how how weirdly I go about this whole thing <laughs> it was like you know. But like yeah, but I also maybe that's a way for me to like get outside of the box that I put myself in. Like let someone else take this torch and then and then go for it. And like not maybe I can sneak away and experiment a little more. And you know it's like I've been hearing I have heard some new music, but i'm definitely i really feel like drum and bass is really making a comeback
1: right now
3: whoa like i don't want
0: it (laughs) so Seth said the power went out
1: oh no yeah damn well shit i mean if ever there was a good way to end the thing i mean just that's like that's the the ultimate uh
3: yeah like social anxiety
1: food uh-huh.